Okay, good morning. Today is the, the second and final part of a two-part series on church membership. You know, what it is, why we should care about it, why we should join a church, uh, if we are Christian. If you missed our first part, you can go back to our website uh, to find it. We have an archive of, of all our sermons, uh, of, of all our services there. And I had, to, I had to split this topic into two, into two messages, and, and today's the second message. But I do want to summarize the first message uh, briefly. And as I said before, this, this two-part series isn't a membership drive uh, trying to get you all to sign up. Pastor Mike and I, uh, we aren't paid more or looked upon more favorably uh, the, based on the number of, of official members of this church or, or how many people we baptize. But this series is really meant to, to get us to think about more biblically uh, what, about what church membership is and what it should look like. And it really does come out of a genuine concern for this church and churches in general. Uh, a key verse we looked at uh, last week was uh, uh, Acts 2.38. Uh, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What do we do? We repent and then we are baptized. And it's really to say that no one gets saved and then wanders around aimlessly thinking about whether to join a church. People repent and then get baptized into the fellowship of the church. Uh, Jason, I'm getting a lot of feedback. And so last time I talked about how if you remember um, how I was really amazed whenever I'd walk into a Sam's Club, right? The big screen TVs and the sheer amount of food that you can buy in bulk. And now it's kind of a pretty ho-hum experience for me. I just kind of buy groceries pretty quickly and then, and then, and then take off. In the, same, in the same way, I think we've lost our amazement and wonder of, of being in that church family. And not just this church, maybe a lot of churches. We just, we're kind of stuck in this rut of attending church every Sunday. Our current membership forum is a single page that asks more administrative questions than spiritual questions. And we don't really get to know a person. Uh, we don't get to know their testimony. We know stuff about each other, right? We, we know, we, we know um, stuff about each other, where, like where we live, or what our hobbies are, or where we work. But for many of us, we don't know each other's testimonies, how we met Jesus. And we are a church family. And I would love to see us checking in on each other uh, on a deeper level. So maybe we've lost that enthusiasm uh, for, uh, for being an excitement um, at being a part of a local church. And I, wanna, I want us to look into changing that. And so today I want to talk about what a church is and how we can think about it and what we can and should be doing as church members and why we should join. But before we begin, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look to you and your son as the groom to the church the bride. Father, I pray that you would be with us here today. I pray that you convict our hearts, Father, and I pray that you would send the Spirit to us to move us, to love one another, to encourage each other, to bear each other's burdens, to pray for one another, to correct one another, to keep one another accountable, Father. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So just what is the church? And really, the church is, the, is just the universal body of believers, the entire group of Christians on earth. Everybody, all the Christians on earth, that's the overall church. That's the overall church. In the book Church Membership, the author uses this answer as to what is the local church. Okay, So what is the local church? 
The local church is the authority on earth that Jesus has instituted to officially affirm and give shape to our Christian lives. All right, it's the authority on earth that Jesus has instituted. So Jesus gave the church authority to do two things, to officially affirm and then give shape, guide, right, our Christian lives. And so I want to use an analogy on who our authority is. This is not perfect, but I, I, think, it, I think it helps. Um, we'll start with students, and most of the students are here in the, in, in the front, front left to you guys. Who is their authority? Outside of their parents, who is their authority? It's their teachers or professors, right? And how do they know who their authority is? Well, it's delegated by the local government laws, the school district, whatever, whatever parties, right? We recognize that. And what can teachers and, and school staff do? Well, they can assign you homework, right? They, they can make you take tests and quizzes and exams. They can discipline you. They can give you detentions. The school staff can actually suspend you, and ultimately, they can expel you. If we are working, who is our authority? Most of us here, most of us adults here are working. Who is our authority? Our bosses, right? And how do we know who our bosses are? It's delegated by the company or the organization we work with. We recognize that. There's probably some organizational chart your company has, right? The one for this church is very simple, right? There's Mike and there's Andy, right? And we have, we have a church council as well. What can bosses do? Well, they can give you work direction, tell you what to do. Like teachers, they can discipline you, and ultimately, our bosses can fire us. They can dismiss us from the company, right? We recognize this. We accept this. All right, one, one last one. Who is the authority as a citizen? Well, that depends on where we live, right? Where, where, we, where we are a citizen of. Keep in mind that word, citizen. For myself, I live in Temple City, so I'm subject to Temple City's local laws. Temple City is, is inside of, of L.A. County, so if there are any broad laws there, I'm subject to those. L.A. County is part of California, so I am subject to California state laws. California is one of the, one of, it's part of the United States, so I am subject to any national federal laws and regulations. We recognize this. What can the government do? Okay, it's, it's a lot, I realize, but specifically for what we're talking about here, the government has the power to tell us what we can and cannot do. And like teachers and bosses, they can discipline us. Ultimately, they can imprison us, even for long periods of time. And even, even more ultimately, depending on the state where you live in, they can put us to death if the crime is serious enough. When it comes to citizenship, the government of the nation you live in is your highest authority. When it comes to citizenship, the government of the nation you live in is your highest authority. There's no higher authority. Like, if, if, there's no world government, right? If there were a world government, then that would be our highest authority on earth. If you're a citizen of France, then the government of France is your highest authority. If you're a citizen of Brazil, the government of Brazil is your highest authority. And if you're a citizen of the United States, like most of us in this room probably are, then the United States government is your highest authority. We acknowledge this. We recognize this. The Bible even establishes this. The government of the nation you are a citizen of is your highest authority on earth. In Romans 13.1, Paul writes, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except for that which God has established. The authorities have, that exist have been established by God. So physically, the highest authority is our government. And spiritually, the highest authority is the church. And we will go through this. And I think an analogy might be helpful here. 
to think about the church. Do you, do you know what an embassy is? Embassy? Nobody here knows what an embassy is. One person knows here. One person, two. Thank you, Roger. Yeah, so two people in this room. Okay, so I'm, I'm glad. No, 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 I guess I can explain this more. All right. An embassy represents one nation inside another nation. How many of you guys have ever had to go to an embassy? Okay. All right, so you guys know an embassy, right? An embassy represents one place on earth that's inside another place on earth, right? It's like an outpost, right? So the American embassy in England represents America, Americans, and, and American interest. And from my understanding, the actual ground that the embassy sits on is actually considered American soil. That's how significant this is considered. The local church represents its church members. Now, embassies do a lot of things, right? But one of the things they can do is affirm who you are in another country. If I'm traveling abroad, say, to London, England, and I've been to London, England, uh, and I lose my passport, I haven't lost my passport, though, but if I do... I have no way to affirm that I'm a U.S. citizen. A passport identifies which country I belong to, right? I can pull out my passport, I'm like, I'm a U.S. citizen. If I lose it, I can't prove who I am. But I can go to the American Embassy in London and get a new passport. The American Embassy doesn't make me an American citizen, right? I already am an American citizen. The American Embassy simply affirms, yeah, Andy Coe, he's an American citizen. I don't have the authority to officially declare myself as an American citizen. And actually, many countries have American embassies. This is an example of one place representing another place right now. And all these American embassies, they represent America. What if an embassy represented a place from the future? And I'm I'm not talking about time travel, (laughs) okay, but... But I think that's a great analogy for what the church is. The church is an embassy. Now, we call ourselves Generations Church. We're not Generations Embassy or the Embassy of Generations. But we we are like an embassy. We're like an outpost. The church represents its members who will gather gather at the end of history. We call that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. An embassy gives official recognition to its citizens And the local church gives official recognition to Christians in the form of church membership. The church represents our interests. It's it's basically in a foreign land, right? Just like just like American embassies, right? It's in a foreign land. If you think of the church inside the secular world, does that make sense? The secular world in the present is the foreign land. Our home country, if you will, is the kingdom of God. Right? We've said that before. This is not our home. This is not our home right now. We are citizens, and there's that word again, right? We are citizens of the kingdom of God. The embassy doesn't make us citizens. I established that, right? We, we talked about that. It just affirms us as citizens of the country we're from. The church doesn't make me a Christian, but it does affirm us as fellow Christians, of fellow brothers or sisters, fellow brothers or sisters in Christ. The local church is like an embassy, and it represents the future kingdom of God. And I think this is a great way to think of what the church is. And if an American citizen is someone who is formally recognized by the embassy as an American, then a church member is someone who is formally recognized as a Christian by the church. 
Now I get it. <laughs> churches are run by humans, and so churches don't always get things right. But it is the church's job to identify Christians and affirm who belongs to the kingdom and who does not. Which, believe, which people are believers and which are not. Jesus didn't leave us so that we had to govern ourselves and to like self-declare ourselves as, as, as fellow Christians, as, as citizens. He left an institution in place on purpose, the local church. He left that place. And as the previous quote said that I read from the book, the church affirms both us as believers and then gives, uh, helps give shape and direction to our Christian lives. Jesus said in Matthew's, uh, Matthew 16, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gate of Hades will not overcome it. He's establishing the church right here, right now. I give you, I, I'm sorry, uh, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whether, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus is giving Peter, and by extension, the church he is founding, right? He's giving Peter and, and the church this authority. The local church, kinda, they kind of guard the reputation of Jesus by like, sorting out the real believers from the fake ones. The many governments on this earth have specific laws and rules on whom they recognize as their citizens. I looked it up. I googled it for you guys, okay? There are currently, as of today, there are 195 countries in the world. So that's potentially 195 different ways to recognize an official citizen of their country. For the United States in general, if you're born in the United States, or a territory of the United States, you're an American citizen. You're a U.S. citizen. To be a British citizen, if you or your parents, so this is where it's different, if your parents were born in the UK, you might automatically be a British citizen, regardless of where you were born. Now, we could go, over, we could go through the other 193 countries and how they do their citizenships, but I, I, think, guys, I think you guys get the point. Right? See, so these countries, they're not careless on who they determine who are their citizens. Right? They're not like, oh, you're a citizen, you're a citizen, you're a citizen, you're a citizen, right? They have rules. It's not random. It's specific. And so neither is Jesus careless on who is recognized as a Christian, on who is recognized as citizens of the kingdom. If you, if you want to talk about the LA Rams, if I want to talk to you about them, I would have to talk about a lot of things about the LA Rams. You can't talk about the L.A. Rams without talking about the head coach, Sean. You can't talk about the L.A. Rams without talking about its players or its fans, its stadium, its website, its logo, its, the stats of its players, its legacy. The L.A. Rams is each of these things. And when you talk to LA, other L.A. Rams fans, I, I'm not one of them, but if you talk to them, my, my boss might be a fan of the L.A. Rams. It's what each of these things is. You can't not talk about the L.A. Rams without talking about each of these individual things. And so when you, talk about, when you think about the local church, you can't just talk about the church and its, its buildings. And you, it, you have to talk about its members. It's what each of these things is. The members are the church. And I think most of us are members of something, Right? You might be a member of a school club or a sports team or a small group or an online forum or chat group. At, at work, you're members of, of some company or organization, I'm sure. I know, I know some of the companies that you work for. 
I'm a member of online forums where ideas and things are exchanged. I'm sure some of you guys are part of Facebook groups or, or other groups. Now, joining Facebook is free, and joining a school club is usually free. But sometimes you have to pay to be a member of something like Sam's Club or a country club. You pay your dues once a month or once a year, and you, you, whatever, and you get something, you, you get a benefit, right? You get something uh, in return. At Sam's Club, you get the ability to, to shop there at discounted prices. At, at a country club, you get the, the ability to, to golf there and use their facilities. Sometimes inter, uh, members are interviewed before they can join a club, and um, t- other times, as long as you have the money, you can join the club. Some membership is exclusive, and some membership is not. But typically, membership involves meeting a standard of some kind. You have to have enough money to join a country club. You have to be cool enough to join the in, in crowd, right? You have to be smart enough to join the debate team. You have to be fast enough to join the track team. I myself can't join any high school club because I am not a member of a high school, although I want to. Did you know that Arcadia High School has an esports club that is nationally ranked? Esports club. That's video games. Yeah, I didn't know that too until a month ago. But I can't and I shouldn't be allowed to join any high school club. A high school club is and should be for high school students and only high school students, sadly. <laughs> right? A high school club should only be for high school clubs. They shouldn't just let anyone join. And just like church membership, church membership should be exclusive. Only Christians should be members of a church. Some membership in clubs is exclusive and some is not. Jesus instituted the local church with authority over us, but we don't join clubs, like we don't join churches like we join clubs or voluntary associations. We submit to them like we do governments. In high school, students probably recognize that they can be disciplined. This doesn't come as a surprise, right? They submit to the school's authority. They can be kicked out of high school club if certain standards aren't met. They can be disciplined by school, detentions or suspensions. And if worse comes to worse, they can be kicked out of school permanently. They can be expelled. None of this comes as a surprise to students, right? You guys knew this, right? If you're bad enough, you can be expelled. The same applies to colleges. Organizations and companies that hire us also have that ability to discipline and even fire us. We accept that. We recognize that. No one would ever claim that once they get a job somewhere, they can't be disciplined or fired. And what about families? Parents have the authority to discipline their children, right? We recognize that. So then what about churches? We recognize that the church, the body of Christ, is made up of church members. And here, see here, here's where it becomes uncomfortable. Because no one likes the subject of discipline, likes to be the subject of discipline. Anyone like discipline? Anyone seek out to be disciplined? No one. No one seeks out discipline. That's only natural. But we should seek to be more and more Christ-like in our walk with Jesus. So joining a church also means ultimately submitting to church authority and potentially submitting to church discipline. And I know that leaves a bad taste in our mouths. You guys are like, oh man, what is Pastor Andy saying now? We tend to think of our faith in individual terms. And it is to an extent. We are saved individually. But while we are saved individually, our journey of faith is meant, to be, is meant to be lived out in community. And just as students and employees need to be kept accountable, 
so also church members. I hope you get the spirit of this. This is not about exhibiting church authority in a domineering way. This is the spirit of accountability, not discipline. This is a framework. This is a guide. I'm, I'm personally not looking for a way to exert more authority or, over any of you, like trying to rule with an iron fist. I'm not on some big power trip. And actually, I myself want to be brought under authority as well. Pastors also need to be kept accountable. No one is perfect. And as a, as a student, and if you remember when you were a student, we understand that a teacher or professor can speak into our academic performance, our academic life. They can give us suggestions. They can give correction. They can discipline us. As an employee, we understand that our boss, our manager, our director can speak into our professional performance. We get, we get uh, performance reviews. I remember them. They can give suggestions. They can give correction. They can discipline us. We accept that. But as a Christian, are we okay if a church leader or really any other Christian speaks correction into our spiritual lives? Here's where it gets uncomfortable, right? This can get very personal. Think about this for a moment. We accept teachers and bosses correcting us. Do we accept other Christians correcting us? Other church members correcting us? I'm willing to bet that most of us initially shrink back from that statement. Maybe you're thinking, you know, Pastor Andy, my spiritual life and my personal life are off limits. No one judges me. No one tells me what to do. It's personal, and that's that. Only God can judge me. It's no one's, just, it's no one's business. It's just between me and God. That's it. We are saved individually, yes, but our faith is meant to be lived out in community. And how do I know this? We could go a year's worth of messages for these next several slides. We are supposed to live out our faith in community, not isolated private lives. And I'm only going to use one verse from each. I've listed other verses at the bottom so you can go and catch it later on live stream or take pictures right now if you want to look them up. But this will give you a small taste of how Christian life should be lived out with one another. Not in isolation. And as Christians, our greatest, our greatest earthly commandment is to love one another. Now that you have purified yourselves by, boy, by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. This is in 1 Peter. We have to seek peace and unity within, within ourselves. Therefore, let, therefore, I'm sorry, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Edification is building each other up, encouraging each other. We're supposed to care for each other physically and spiritually. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice spirit hospitality. I saw great examples of this, by the way, of this church during the, during the COVID shutdown. We're supposed to watch over one another and hold one another accountable. Here's where it gets uncomfortable. Brothers and sisters, if someone, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. This is something we can do more of. But this is what we're supposed to be doing. We're also supposed to work to edify one another, build each other up. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. He's encouraging the church in Thessalonica because he heard of them doing that. And that's something that we should continue doing. We, have to bear, we should bear with one another. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We have to carry each other's burdens. Okay, last one. I know 
I want to burn through this quickly because those can be sermons in themselves. But look at all these one another's. This is what we're supposed to be doing for each other. Last one, to pray for one another. And to pray, pray for our church leaders. Pray for the council. Pray for Mike. Pray for myself. Pray for the worship team. Pray for all the CE leaders and small group leaders and fellowship uh, group leaders. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This comes from James. And so after reading through all these verses, I would love to see us as a church that builds one another up, encourage one another, keeps one another accountable. So yeah, we're, we're saved individually. I get that. But I hope we can see from these verses that our faith is meant to be lived out in community. Now, journey, sorry. now joining a church does not save us. We know that. Our good deeds, our donations to the church... Uh, Our baptisms, they don't save us. None of that saves us. Those are all good things to do, but none of those things save us. We know that. We are Christians when when through God's grace we put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's what saves us. We acknowledge that we are sinners. And the just punishment for our sins is eternal separation from God. We call that place hell. We can do nothing to bridge that gap. But God in his grace, because he loved us, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to pay that penalty for us on our behalf. And that whoever believes in him doesn't perish in that eternal separation from from God, hell. And we talked about this on Friday night with the youth kids, that darkness. But instead, it joins them in eternal, everlasting life. So no, I want to make this point clear. Church membership does not save, but it is a reflection of salvation. So for those of us who believe in Jesus, what does it mean to live in the Christian life? Or, or do we just do it alone? Is there more? When we join a church officially, we're asking fellow church members, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to hold us accountable to the Bible. Sometimes others can remind us of the ways we have seen God work in our lives, and other times... Other people can challenge us when we may be straying from God. It's easy to fool ourselves into thinking that we're Christians simply, simply because we, we prayed one time a, a little prayer in our lives many years ago, and we started to, we started to attend a church. I'm a Christian. I, I prayed a brief prayer, invited Jesus into my heart. That's it. Maybe we've done this church life for years. Maybe we're in a rut We've made some friends along the way. We like some worship songs. We complain about other worship songs. But maybe we really never know Jesus. Think to yourselves right now. Do you have a real relationship with Jesus that genuinely challenges your life and the people that you meet and interact with? Do you have a real relationship with Jesus Christ that genuinely changes your life and the people you meet and interact with? Or are you sailing your ship your your own little way? You'll come to church when you like the sermons. You'll come when you like the music. You'll come when churches have nice, fun events. But then you'll sail on and do your own thing when, when, when you're not pleased. You may go when you want. You may come and go. You may be church hopping for years. This passage from Hebrews 10 has been called a lettuce patch. You know, the, the, the not fruit, the, the, the vegetable, lettuce because it uses the word let us, let us throughout the passage. And I'm, I'm going to skip to verse 22. 
Let us, plural, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, baptism, right? Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hope to that, let us hold to our hope in Jesus Christ. Let us hold to that, his promises. And 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Right, you see that. Let's spur each other on to love and good deeds, and let's continue meeting. Let us, plural, not singular, let us hold each other accountable when we are tempted. Let us study God's word together to prepare us for challenges in our life. Let us sing God's praises together, our worship team. Let us pray together, and not just when Mike and I lead us in prayer up here, and not just at, at meal mealtime. Let us encourage each other. Let us share in each other's burdens. The burden thing I want to speak about, oftentimes, uh, Mike and I get things like, oh, can you pray for this, but don't share with the rest of the church, and we respect those. But I want to, I want to encourage us to be more open about our burdens. Let's pray. Let's live our life together. Let's become more involved in one another's lives. We, we, we got to stop thinking about church membership as this kind of, like this loose affiliation that is like occasionally useful. We must start thinking of church membership more as a regular responsibility. When we become members of a church, let's agree to live life together. Let's help and encourage each other when we need to, to be reminded of God's work in our lives. But you know what? There's a flip side to that coin. Let us also be challenged when, when, let us also be challenged when there's a huge difference between our talk and our walk. Now, of course, we don't join a church because we're amazingly perfect and awesome and and, and we're only going to bring amazing benefits and positive benefits to the church. We're all human, after all, right? If you join join a church, you're going to bring problems to that church. I guarantee it. But that's okay. The church has problems already. That's why we Christians are in a church, to figure out life together while we follow Jesus. I've got problems. You've got problems. It's okay. So even though we're not perfect, let us be committed to building each other up. And when we do that, we build up the church. Let us build up the church. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, So it is with you, since you are eager for for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. The purpose of spiritual gifts is to build up the church, not for your own benefit, to build up yourself. Spiritual gifts are meant to build up the church. This should be one of our main goals in our our Christian life. So I think everyone in this room, or online, everyone in this room is one of three audiences. Maybe you're not a Christian yet. Maybe you're not really sure what you believe. Come talk to me, or Pastor Mike, or a church leader. You're on your journey of faith, and that's okay. If you're not sure all about all this Jesus Christ stuff, this invisible God stuff, it's great that you're here. And we want to engage with you and talk with you. We won't force any beliefs on you. 
We don't demand that we, we're not like that. But I'm glad you're here. If you're an unchurched Christian, I hope I've been able to encourage you to join a church. Covenant with us together. Let's live our lives together and not just on Sunday mornings. And if you are an official member of this church, let's kick it up a notch in how we interact with each other. Let's do Christian life together. In joining a church, let's walk in our faith together. Let's form stronger bonds with each other. Let's reach out to our community better. And I use this slide. This slide is from last, uh, last, week, last, last time I, I, I spoke. And some of this will be fleshed out more at our church retreat at the end of July. Our theme for 2022 is branching out to each other and to our community. I want to close. Churches aren't only looking for people who are never judged. We're not looking for perfect people, okay? So you don't have to be perfect enough to join a church. Churches aren't looking for only people who are never jerks. People are looking for people who admit that they're jerks, but are willing to fight it. People who are willing to fight their sins in sinful, in sinful nature. Kind of like me, and maybe like you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you be with us, Father, and convict our hearts. It is hard sometimes down here in life. We have a lot of conflict here, down, on earth, down here on earth. A lot of conflict globally, nationally, in our state, in our cities. A lot of suffering has happened these, this past month, month and a half. A lot of political divisiveness. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And Father, I pray that you build up and strengthen this church. I pray that you convict us to live a life together. And while you saved us individually through your grace, I pray that we can covenant together to live our lives together, to keep each other accountable, to encourage us, but also challenge us when our talk does not match our walk. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.